Thank you for listening, but please be skeptical about what you hear on any podcast, this one included. Please also be advised that I do swear and I don't take the time to bleep anything out, so listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Ruby, and this is episode 54 of Living Through Extinction, a short to the point podcast with science, skepticism, environment, wildlife, and ways we as people can be better for future generations. Today I have segments on memories, ocean snow, these really wild beetles that walk upside down on the underside of water surfaces, cooling systems, and secular sexuality. If you've listened before, then thank you so much for returning. If this is your first time joining me, welcome! I hope you find it both fun and informative. Memories. Our brains are not cameras. They do not take perfect snapshots of our experiences. Our memories are fallible, and they should be accepted as so. The reasonable acknowledge that their memories may be mistaken, while the stubborn and ignorant insist that they saw what they saw, and they know what they saw, and they are right, period. Studies have shown again and again how our memories are constructed and reconstructed, how mere suggestion can change what's recalled, and how empty spots are sometimes filled in by the observer based on past experiences. There's an experiment that was done which showed a prime example of how our memories can be manipulated by another. This one may come up again in the future, as it's covered in Carl Sagan's Demon Haunted World, which I will be talking about on an episode focused on media literacy. In summary, participants each watch a recording of a car accident. At this accident, to be clear, there is no stop sign. During the questioning of each person about the accident, they were asked a question which was something to the effect of, did another vehicle pass the car when it was stopped at the stop sign? Again, there was no stop sign in the media they watched. This simple suggestive phrasing of the question is all it took for someone to generate a stop sign in their memory, to unknowingly change their own memory. When shown the video again, there were two types of people, those who were interested and astounded that they were able to be manipulated in that way, and those who could not admit their memory had been manipulated. These are the ones who accuse the researchers of manipulating the video or switching it out completely. Obviously, my respect goes to those who were able to admit their fallibility. We all remember events differently from the way they happened, and we even sometimes remember things that didn't happen at all. We also mix memories together. As time goes by, later events can be mistakenly mixed in with the one being recalled. Then there are schemas. We all have schemas in our brain that fill in the blanks for us. This was looked into in 1932 with a very simple study. Participants were told a story and asked to tell it back after a series of time lapses. After each time lapse, the story they would tell would change. The most interesting revelation is that they filled in things that had been left out. A person may get all the facts correct when retelling the story, but all of a sudden there's something added. Where there were gaps in the information they had been provided, their brain used its stored schemas to put together what should have been happening in those gaps and made it a part of the memory. I mean, come on, that's pretty fucking cool. Apparently when we remember past events, there are main details written into our mind about the event, but the blanks that are inevitably there are filled in with schemas. Schemas are generalizations that get formed based on our experiences. 
They create frameworks for typical experiences that end up shaping our expectations and memories. One quote I saw in an article on memory distortions and biases said, quote, Memories are not identical reproductions of experiences, but a combination of actual events and already existing schemas, unquote. I went down a rabbit hole on schemas. Our brains are so wild. Another interesting study showed a correlation between anxiety and recall. Something about a state of anxiety seems to write an event more accurately into one's memory. I know I can be hyper-attentive when anxious, so maybe that's it? The study showed people with social anxiety disorder produced fewer false memories than those without. If you like the brain and the weird stuff it does, a really great book is Oliver Sacks' Hallucinations. Also, his paper is in The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. So good. Yet another one that comes to mind is Phantoms of the Brain, Probing the Mysteries of the Human Mind. Oliver Sacks actually did the foreword for this one. I loved the do-it-yourself test this one contained where it showed how you can see for yourself how your brain fills in your blind spot with the pattern of the area. This is very easily tested with a light switch on a wall with patterned wallpaper. The book explained at one point how to view the wall in a way that you would not see the light switch because your brain would be filling that space in with what it could see, the wallpaper. That's because our brains aren't cameras, they're pattern seekers and filler-inners. That's not a term, but they do try to fill in the blanks when something lands in our blind spot. And that's just one super simple example of how our brains fool us every day. They make us feel things that are not there. They make us hear things that are not there. They fill in the blanks and make us see things as they may not actually be. Our brains create familiar forms out of momentary blurs in our vision. It's really not that surprising that they also create and reform memories. It would take a series of entire episodes to go into all the details of all the things that affect the accuracy of our recall. But if this interests you, these are some of the things you should look into. Hindsight bias. Types of memory bias. Illusory correlation. Mood congruent memory bias. Intrusion errors. Self-serving bias. Source amnesia. Leading questions. While it's been shown that children are more susceptible to leading questions, as we saw in the car accident video experiment, it works pretty well on adults too. And schemas, of course. Schemas are fascinating. If you have time to spend on just one of these factors, make it schemas. Oh my gosh, our brains are fucked up. So remember, your memory, no matter how good you may think it is, is never the snapshot you might believe it to be. Be skeptical, dammit, especially about yourself. out recently what marine snow is. Hint, it's not snow. What is called ocean snow or marine snow is actually made up of poop, plant and animal decay, soot, sand, dust, and more that slowly make their way down, down, down to the sea floor. The particles start at the top or middle layers of large bodies of water and as they sink look like white fluffy bits falling down. The flakes bump into each other along the way and clump together looking much like little clumps of snow. This trip down to the sea floor can take weeks. We were able to learn quite a bit about marine snow by putting sediment traps on the ocean floors. The snow clumps they have collected are full of microbes. It's been determined that the sinking debris is serving a purpose down there. Some very deep sea creatures seem to depend on these marine clumps for their nutrition. Study on this is just beginning and there is still lots to learn, so marine snow may come up again as more is revealed. Okay, these scavenger beetles I'm about to tell you about are very cool. You can see video of them on YouTube, they are water dwellers. The weird thing about them is that they do not walk on the surface of the water. They walk upside down on the underside of the surface of the water. 
It looks like a bug on the other side of a pane of glass scurrying around. Too weird. They can even stop and rest like that, just as though they were standing on the top. I saw it described in one place as inverted surface scurrying. We can thank John Gould, a PhD student at the University of Newcastle, for the observation, the video, and now the interest researchers are showing in the mechanics of this insect. While unknown, it's believed to be of the Hydrophilidae family, which are known as water scavengers. The recording shows air bubbles trapped along the insect's upturned belly. It's hypothesized that the bubble's buoyancy is used by the beetle to flip and pin itself to the underside of the water's surface. This allows the beetle to put pressure on the water-air boundary and walk just as though it was on the surface. It's also been hypothesized that the formation of its legs are assisting in the ability to trap and make use of these air bubbles. Researchers are excited to study more and learn about the exact physics of this skill for possible advancements in robotics. As you're probably aware, water striders were once used for this exact purpose with quite a bit of success. You can read the report about these insects in the June 28, 2021 issue of Ethology. Or, if you just want to see them running around upside down, look for them on YouTube. Search for John Gould, G-O-U-L-D, U of Newcastle, and inverted surface scurrying beetles, and you should find them. Keeping things cool. Kind of a weird thing to talk about when it's minus 44 with the wind chill out here, but next episode will be about furnaces, so there's that. We keep our engines cool so vehicles don't overheat. We keep our food cool or frozen so it will last longer. We keep ourselves and our pets cool just because we can and it's comfortable. The general cooling industry makes up about 10% of global CO2 emissions. That is three times the amount put out by aviation and shipping combined. How do we keep our engines and our vehicles from overheating? We store a mix of water and antifreeze in the radiator. I found guidelines for antifreeze disposal, but not laws or legislation except where contaminated. Well, in an engine, it can be contaminated with lead or fuel, badly enough to require it be handled by hazardous waste legislations. There are two types of antifreeze. Antifreeze with ethylene glycol puts humans and animals at risk if ingested. Unfortunately, it is sweet in smell and taste, and so very attractive to animals and children. Any small spills should be cleaned up as quickly and thoroughly as possible. Antifreeze with propylene glycol sometimes markets itself as non-toxic. Really, it's just less toxic. If flush, dumped, spilled, or leaked, antifreeze can pollute groundwater, surface water, and drinking water, and do harm to marine and aquatic life. Most cities have a place for proper disposal, and turning old bottles into them is the ideal way to deal with them. Cooling appliances, such as fridges and freezers, contain a crap load of hazardous and toxic components, as well as a whole lot of plastic and or metal. There is still a lot of pre-1995 fridges across Canada. These contain chlorofluorocarbons or hydrochlorofluorocarbons, gases which are now prohibited in newly manufactured items. Today's appliances instead have hydrofluorocarbons rather than hydrochlorofluorocarbons. Hydrofluorocarbons have no impact on the ozone layers, but they do still add to greenhouse gas emissions. Worse yet, some freezers built before 2000 still had 1 to 1.5 grams of mercury in them. Mercury is bad? Improper disposal of these freezers could cause mercury contamination in the environment. It is incredibly toxic to both humans and animals. Leaks in old fridges and freezers can put gases into the air with much higher warming effects than CO2, apparently from 700 to 10,900 times higher. These gases both prevent the heat from escaping the earth and add to the depletion of the ozone layer. 
Apparently the EU has legislation for fridges and freezers. If you live in the UK and your fridge breaks, you must take it to a licensed waste facility. Their technicians will remove the gas if required. I read that it is illegal to not do so there before having an appliance destroyed. From what I can tell, most of the rest of the world does not have any real legislation to deter people from taking apart or smashing a fridge. On the horizon are more climate-friendly chemicals known as natural refrigerants, and some companies are already making progress in that area. Coke and Pepsi have set goals to phase into these better alternatives, which have comparatively low or even zero global warming potential in some cases. When it comes to fridges and freezers, as time goes on, they seem to be being built better, but the older ones are still out there, and we need to encourage everyone to do right when disposing of them. The last bit of cooling technology I'm going into today is air conditioning. Now there's a vicious cycle. The more we use them, the warmer we get. So the more we use them, so the warmer we get. So the more we use them, so the warmer we get. And it just gets worse and worse and worse. A few energy stats. One small air conditioning unit cooling one small room can use up more power than running four fridges. A central air cooling system can be using more power than running 15 fridges. There are entire communities in the southern U.S. that may never have been built if not for the luxury of air conditioning. Without air, nobody would have wanted to build there. When all glass skyscrapers first started going up, due to their poor reflective properties and lack of ventilation, they often had to route more than half of their electricity to air conditioning. The World Trade Center was built with the largest AC unit ever at the time. It was made up of nine huge engines and over 270 kilometers in piping for both cooling and heating. This pair of buildings used the same amount of electricity each day as the nearby city of a name I can't pronounce, which is made up of 80,000 people. And get this, some places are heating up so much, Qatar in the Middle East started using outdoor air conditioning just to keep the country livable in 2019. As of December 2020, 3.6 billion heating, ventilation, and air conditioning units were on the go. As the world continues to warm and more people use these systems more and more, that number is expected to rise to 9.5 billion by 2050. The brunt of the problems with air conditioning is due to the fact that the tech is quite old. Not much has changed since 1902. If resources could be put into discovering a cleaner, more efficient method, it would be a huge step towards eventually mitigating climate change. The Rocky Mountain Institute is trying to encourage more engineers to work on this by offering a $3,000 prize. The goal of participants is to come up with a cooling system which is five times more efficient than what we use now, but costs no more than two times as much to build. So far, over 100 entries have been received from inventors, research teams, and university science departments. This is great, but we have to be realistic. Even if they do find the perfect system, it will take decades to replace what we use now with anything new that's discovered. We should be trying to make changes a lot faster, but at least it's something, right? There is no way we are giving up our air conditioning. A few summers back, there was a New York Times article titled, Do Americans Need Air Conditioning? And the thousands of angry social media posts that followed showed that it is not something people are willing to do without. But we can do things to make it so we need it less. Trees strategically planted for shade can take a lot of the cooling burden off of a home system. Making sure all windows and doors are sealed before running a system so it doesn't have to work as hard. Making use of color. White is reflective, and next episode I'll be talking about that new whitest white. Making use of these things when available will help your system to not have to run as hard as well. We can mitigate our own use by simply blowing out the house when we first get home before turning on the system. 
apparently this can make a huge difference. We can be comfortable with it a lot warmer in our homes than we tend to make it. Overuse and inefficient use are probably the largest places where we can make a difference. We have to start somewhere. The positive thing I would like to call your attention to today is a YouTube podcast show called Secular Sexuality. Secular Sexuality is a weekly call-in show from Austin, Texas that airs Thursdays at 7 p.m. Central. They discuss sex and sexuality as the natural things that they are. In some of their own words, they are promoters of self-love and self-compassion. They talk about sex from a secular and scientific perspective, and they take a stance against the way religion twists the beauty of sex into something awful to be ashamed of. I should seriously insert applause here. Religion is the worst for twisting what is good and healthy into something they can despise. Secular sexuality has helped many people break free of shame and reclaim the natural beauty of their sexuality. And they do so with acceptance, education, and even some fun. Secular Sexuality is produced by the Atheist Community of Austin, along with other great shows such as The Nonprofits, Talk Heathen, The Atheist Experience, Truth Wanted, Godless Bitches, and more. If you would like to speak to someone about sex and sexuality and are looking to have a non-religious, pro-science-based conversation about it, call when they go live at 512-686-0279. Again, that's Thursdays at 7 on YouTube, and they can also be downloaded as a podcast after the fact if you just want to listen. And that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. May your health and sanity be replenished daily. Thank you to Jason Martin for composing the intro-outro for the show, and thank you to Kathy Rayner and Paul Palmer for their musical contributions on the violin and guitar. I hope you will join me in two weeks for episode 55 of Living Through Extinction. The governor of Missouri declared a state of emergency. Very serious situation here in Hawaii. Earlier this evening, the uh, civil defense calling for an evacuation of all low-lying areas because of a tsunami. The sky turns black as giant tornadoes touch down. From Nebraska to Texas, apocalyptic scenes as twisters.